praise to our God and thank you all for your service. It really is good to be here. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Amen. It really is a pleasure to be with you this Resurrection Sunday. I got greeted by uh, someone coming in who gave me a framed uh, picture of a quote that I gave here in a sermon one time. I'm like, wow. It says, to me, camping is staying at a hotel near a forest, which, which I probably did say that, so <laughs> that was a delight to get on the Easter. Another, another delight is for me to have my family with me. Now, I could, I, could, I could brag about my family for days, but I am going to ask them to just stand up right quick if they don't mind. So, all right. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. So four of our children, spouses, five grandkids, the five grandkids, they all went to Kid City? I'm impressed. All right, very good, yes. <laughs> I will make one point of connection. I'm not going to talk about my family all day, but one point of connection is our youngest, Jessica, and her husband, Dr. Martin Uwa, they were students and met at Rice University in Houston, and Je Jessica was a sociology major, which meant her professor was Dr. Michael Emerson. Is Dr. Emerson here? Are you here? Oh, there he is. Okay. So y'all connected already? All right, there he is. So she had Dr. Emerson way back. That's a long time ago now, rel relatively speaking. All right. <laughs> well, it really is good to be with you. I also appreciate the communication from the leadership team and Minister Tim White went out a couple of days ago. Being a community, especially a multi-ethnic community, it isn't a show. It's work. And you're leaning into that work. This is one reason why Susan and I are glad to be part of this community. We, we appreciate folks who want to lean into the work, and it's not a show. I mean, if it was a show, everybody would be doing it. <laughs> but, we're, but you're taking these things seriously, and, it's, and I really am grateful for that. Let's take a moment to pray. Lord, we give you thanks because you're good. Your mercies endure forever. And we come on this Resurrection Sunday with our hearts open and our, and our, and our minds open. And we're coming, Lord, with with the spirit of celebration, yet at the same time, we may be coming with our own fears and doubts and sadness and, and, and wanting to believe and praying that you would help us in our unbelief. And we're, we're asking, Lord God, for you to meet us in, in wherever we are. I pray, Lord God, you'd help me to communicate faithfully from the scriptures. But, but more than that, your spirit would be working in each of our hearts individually and then in this community collectively so we could be the people you want us to be how that would be such a blessing to us and blessing to this world. So we pray, Holy Spirit, for your will to be done, that you would empower, refresh, renew, do the work that you do. I pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. In 2007, the Discovery Channel put out a documentary called The Lost Tomb of Jesus. James Cameron was one of the producers. He's the guy who made the movie Titanic. So it probably was a long documentary. But <laughs> so the documentary was about something that happened back in 1980. Back then, in an area of Jerusalem, an ancient tomb was discovered under a building site. The tomb contained 10 ossuaries. Now, if any of you have me for New Testament, you know what an ossuary is, but it's a, it's a bone box in essence. Here's a picture of one. It's a, it's a box that people would do in ancient times, you know, after somebody was placed in a tomb when they died, um, just like Jesus, 
After about a year, friends and family would come and get what was left, the bones, and the bones would be uh, put into this ossuary, and the tomb would be reused. The family could take those bones and write on, or the box and write something on it, and there are caves that have you know, a significant number of ossuaries in them. What was special about the box found in 1980 was that it allegedly had written on it in Aramaic something that said Yeshua bar Yosef. Bar is Aramaic for son. Ben is Hebrew. So Yeshua bar Yosef, which means Jesus, son of Joseph. There were ossuaries around that one that had names like Matthew, Joseph, Judas, Mary. Are you seeing the possible problem here? I mean, could there really be a box with the bones of Jesus in it? Well, some people said no. I was thinking everybody would say no. I mean, it was that you all should be shouting it at this point. I mean, do you really think that the bones of Jesus could be anywhere on earth? Uh, no, thank you, right? Practice that a few times because hopefully we've been saying for about 2,000 years, he's risen indeed. <laughs> now, you could read that story. In fact, CNN did a piece on this back in 2015. I took a screenshot and accidentally got the arrow on there, but but that's not a video. It's just, I'm just showing you that CNN did this and had a New Testament scholar weigh in. Scholars have pointed out there are lots of problems with people's assumptions associated with that box. But the point that I'm really making right now is that there will always be people who claim that Jesus did not rise from the dead. And I suspect we can respond in at least a couple of ways. One, we could take a historical approach. We could try to get really scientific. We could try to mount up enough historical evidence to prove that Jesus rose from the dead. And there is some validity in that. I think it's the kind of work that Mickey and others do. They try to help make an argument and, and, and help us to explain things that are historical about Christianity. And some people still might conclude that the resurrection, well, that's a matter of faith. And it is faith that takes me to the second way we could respond. If the resurrection of Jesus is real, some of the evidence should, should be changed lives. This is to say that if Jesus truly rose from the dead and human beings encountered him in some way, then their lives would surely be changed. Now, when I was growing up every Easter, we would, use, we would sing a hymn like, like the one we sang earlier, Because He Lives, we'd sing that other one, He Lives. And, you know, I knew all the verses by heart, of course, because I'm, I'm old now and I've been in church a lot of years. But we would sing and the chorus would end up, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. And as a kid who liked math and science, I said, that's a cop out. You want to know how he lives? Like, get, show me proof. He lives in my heart. And I was like... Oh, now that I'm older, what seemed so subjective to me back then is actually really powerful for me now. <laughs> because if the resurrection is real, then there ought to be something in my heart that has changed. If the resurrection is real, then we ought to be the most loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, generous, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled people on the planet. We would be good news people, what we're saying in this series. Not people who bear false witness, not people who storm the Capitol, not people who are self-righteous, judgmental people. Yeah, I know, I know. But I mean, really, if we're good news people, and if Jesus is still alive, that means we communicate with him. If Jesus rose from the dead and is still alive, that means we need not fear what any human being can do. All fear is gone. We just said it. Because we serve a Lord who got beat up and hung up, but then rose up. You can't say that about everybody. 
There's no question that the resurrection of Jesus had a profound impact on all who followed him. The resurrection contributed to the transformation of their lives. Has the resurrection of Jesus made a difference in your life? I hope you could reflect on that throughout all that I'm going to say today and maybe even for the rest of the day. Because I don't know how you've encountered our living Savior. But I hope the resurrection of Jesus makes a difference in your life. We're going to look at three encounters that the risen Jesus had that are recorded one after the other near the end of the Gospel of John. Each of these interactions at least encourages me to believe that the resurrection of Jesus can change me. And these three interactions help me to see that I can be one of those good news people who still encounters the living Lord Jesus. So please allow me to read John chapter 20. I'm going to start at verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She, returned, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that through believing, you may have life in his name. The Lord blesses the reading of his word. This is the word of the Lord. Now, this first encounter is with Mary Magdalene. Mary, common name in the New Testament. But the Mary in John 20 is Mary Magdalene, and she's intriguing, but not lots of details 
about her life are given in the scriptures. But this, is, this lack of information has not stopped people, especially men, from imagining her primarily as an object of sexual desire. Some stories make her out to have been a sex worker. Some people uh, try, um, so, oh my goodness, sorry here. <laughs> Some people assert that she was the unnamed woman caught in adultery that John writes about earlier, well, that are written, that's put in the Gospel of John. Uh, we're not going down that road right now. <laughs> um, anyway, that um, who was about to be publicly ex executed when Jesus intervened. And there's long been speculation that she had an especially intimate relationship with Jesus. Sometime later in the second century, the so-called Gospel of Thomas emerged and gave some people the impression that Jesus and Mary were romantically linked. That second century writing is behind the Da Vinci Code's popularity. And then in my younger days, there were portrayals of Jesus and Mary Magdalene being in love. Now, I never saw The Last Temptation of Christ. I didn't even read the book. But I remember all the controversy when the movie came out in 1988. The movie depicts Jesus on the cross, imagining himself in his agony being married to Mary Magdalene instead of dying to redeem the sins of the world. Then there's Jesus Christ Superstar. And I have to admit, I really do like the soundtrack even though there are problematic issues. Uh, Mary sings a couple of songs, and one of them is this cool one in 5-4 time. Try not to get worried, try not to turn on too bright. You'll find out what my kids put up with is that I think a lot in music, so it's... But then there's the showstopper. I don't know how to love him. I'm like, okay, it's a cool song, but what's going on here? The picture of Mary Magdalene in the New Testament it's not how so many people imagine it. So, so let's go to where we actually do meet her in Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. In Luke 8, 1 to 3, it says this. Soon afterwards, he, that would be Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Huzza, and Susanna, and many others, many others, who provided for them out of their resources. That's a whole sermon for another time, <laughs> because, because we need to celebrate these women disciples. But I just want you to see right here what is said and what is not said about Mary. Here's a woman who who's had people emphasize her alleged sexual history. Wrong, short-sighted, to view her through the lens of sex. What's clearer is that Mary was a person who knew pain, tormented by evil spirits. We don't even know the nature of the demonization, but one day she met a savior who cast out the demons and took her pain away. <laughs> Mary knew what it meant to be delivered, and she must have been grateful because she followed Jesus all the way to the cross. And get this, she was at the crucifixion of Jesus when most of the male disciples had run off. It was her devotion and sensitivity that caused her and other women to be concerned about the Lord's body early on that Sunday morning. Because of Passover, Jesus had been buried hastily. Spices applied, according to the Gospel of John. But these women had followed to, to do another anointing after the Sabbath. But you know, when they arrived, and we heard that recitation earlier, when they arrived, they found the stone had been rolled away. The tomb was empty. Hallelujah. Yeah. 
So apparently on this Resurrection Sunday, Mary lingered behind and then had her own encounter with two angels as she stood outside the tomb weeping. She figured someone had stolen the body of Jesus. She started to leave, but then she encountered Jesus, not really recognizing him. Thought he was the gardener, and then the Lord called her name. And true sheep know the shepherd's voice. Mary recognized Jesus and grabbed onto him. Jesus told Mary not to keep clinging, but go tell the other disciples that she has seen Jesus. Mary did go and tell, but there's actually no evidence that they believed her. In fact, it's more likely that they did not believe her. So they stayed in hiding, it says, for fear of the Jews. They were afraid that they were going to face what happened to Jesus. So after Mary Magdalene encounters Jesus and the Lord gives her some hope here, the resurrection counteracted Mary's sadness. When she saw the empty tomb, as you saw, she was weeping. She thought maybe someone had taken the body, desecrated it, but because of her devotion, she was there. But when she saw Jesus, sorrow turned to joy. The resurrection of Jesus also empowered Mary to be a witness. She became the first evangelist for the risen Lord. Jesus told her to go, and she went. Mary appears to be the first to have seen the risen Lord, energized to do whatever the Lord required of her. So my friends, the risen Lord can meet us in our sadness too and encourage us when we feel hopeless. The living Lord Jesus can also motivate us to be the witnesses of good news just like Mary. So after the Lord commissions Mary to report the news to the disciples, the scene now shifts to those male disciples hiding out from Jesus' authorities. Ten disciples hiding. (laughs) You know, being a grandfather is terrific. And uh, not only do I get the joy of watching small children discover aspects of life, I get to see my children experiencing what Susan and I went through. (laughs) So, (laughs) oh, y'all clapping. So now I got James Brown in my head, the big payback. But all right, that's good. (laughs) But I must admit, there is a certain satisfaction and joy in watching my children be parents, aunties, uncles. Another thing I do as a grandfather is watch children's programming. I have sat through PJ Masks, because they enunciate in PJ Masks. <laughs> Owlette. And Paw Patrol. But I really do like Bluey. <laughs> and I've seen lots of Daniel Tiger, whose father is like the perfect father. Oh my goodness, such a sensitive tiger. <laughs> One episode I saw dealt with separation anxiety, when the parents had to leave Daniel with a caregiver. The little tiger gets anxious. And there's always a refrain, you know, that works its way through. And the refrain was, parents, come back. So we comfort little children by saying that their parents are nearby and they're going to come back soon. This is, this is dealing with their separation anxiety. So now let's ramp that up like a whole lot. <laughs> and we've got disciples with an extreme separation anxiety. <laughs> They've spent three years with Jesus close to him, learning from him, experiencing love and care. They watched him get arrested. Most of them were too afraid to witness the actual crucifixion, but they knew Jesus was dead. And with the death of the one who cared for them, 
they were understandably upset. They were also afraid that the religious authorities would go after them the way they went after Jesus. So we can imagine them now, picture them, huddled in a room with the doors locked, trying to figure out what to do next. And as they sit in their anxiety and fear, Jesus shows up. I can't imagine what that must have been like. Jesus shows up and greets them in typical Semitic fashion that must have sounded especially poignant. I mean, Semites always say, peace be with you. But oh my goodness, they needed peace to be with them. I mean, it was more than just a casual head nod, you know, to his Semitic homies. Peace, what's up? But even today, Jews, Muslims, Palestinians, Israelis, they still greet each other with peace, shalom, salam. But these disciples really needed to feel this peace. They were not doing well. So Jesus not only greets them with peace, but then he shows them the marks on his body as verification, goes on to give them a mission just like he gave Mary Magdalene. He sends the disciples in the same way the Father sent him. And then, as a foreshadowing of Pentecost, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. They will need the Spirit to do the work that Jesus is giving them to do. They are to take on priestly intercessory work to acknowledge and proclaim when people's sins are forgiven by God. Look, the resurrection of Jesus can counteract our fears and set us on a path of service empowered by the Holy Spirit. One reaction we have when we're afraid is to freeze. Now, I'm no expert, but the experts say, I had a little slide there, but the experts say there are four ways that we respond to trauma. Flight, fight, freeze, or fawn. So y'all can... Look at that later, there's a lot of words on there. But I'm focusing on the freezing one. We get too overwhelmed to do anything. I confess that one happens to me sometimes. I get overwhelmed and I find, you know, old scripts playing in my head. One of the things that I'm learning is to remember that I serve a living Savior. Jesus isn't someone I memorialize like I do with Dr. King or family members who passed away. I don't memorialize him. Jesus is alive. So I go to him in my fears. The resurrection of Jesus helps me to confront my fears because I remember that I'm not alone. Because Jesus is alive, he fulfilled the promise to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the paraclete, translated so many different ways, advocate, comforter, counselor, supporter. I mean, all those images behind the, 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 the Holy Spirit. So it's easy for me to be anxious, but then I try to take my deep breath. And remember, Jesus is alive. The Holy Spirit has come. I can face my fears. A long time ago when I was in high school, I had a friend who was a fellow running back. We were, we were the backfield, Leon and I. And one day around this time of year, there was a group of us African-American uh, students, mostly guys, slowly taking our time from lunch to our next class and got into this big conversation, a religious conversation. And one guy, Darrell, was especially vocal about his disbelief in God. And apparently he was wrestling with his own, you know, sense of what to do with all these stories he's been learning in church. And he was really agitated. I didn't argue with him, but I noticed you know, a lot of guys in the group, they were vocally supportive of his complaints. And as Leon and I separated off to get to our class, he turned to me and he said, oh, I'm sorry, Dennis. He was apologizing for it. I said, look, you don't have to apologize, Leon. I said, but I know what Daryl thinks. What do you believe? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, well, Dennis, if I had been there, I would have, of course I'd believe. If I had been there, 
That was interesting to me, and I never forget it. Of course, most people really don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. So I can understand my friend's perspective. And I think it's a bit like what Thomas is experiencing in our story here. We call him Doubting Thomas. Sometimes I just call him Honest or Realistic Thomas. I mean, after all, people don't rise from the dead every day. So Thomas said, I'll believe it if I can see it. And Thomas wasn't there. We, we saw that in the story when the others experienced the risen Jesus. So he can't believe Jesus, and he gets as close to what we might call scientific inquiry, which is why I really like Thomas. I mean, I spent a lot of time in chem lab. And some of y'all don't know, I have a chemical engineering degree. I spent a lot of time in chem lab. I like math. I like stuff that works out. There's a certain aesthetic beauty to solving equations and seeing them work out. And for Thomas, this was not working out. Dead people don't rise. So Thomas says, let me see it. And Jesus says, okay. <laughs> and shows up a week later and says, touch. Thomas is overwhelmed. My Lord, my God. Thomas got what my friend Leon wanted, and I think what most of us would want, a personal appearance of the risen Lord. Of course, if we had that in such dramatic fashion, we would really need him to say, peace be with you, because we'd be freaking out and really scared. <laughs> but the Lord doesn't do it that way for everyone. Instead, he asks us to have faith. In fact, he he, he prays and blesses folks to have faith right then. He pronounces a beatitude. He says, blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. That would be me. Because I have not seen Jesus in the flesh. Even so, I have become convinced that he is alive. I'm convinced that a life of faith is far better than one without it. If I did not have faith in Jesus, I would not have made it this far in my life. Life can be depressing and distressing if you don't have hope. Easter's about hope. Mary, the other disciples, including Thomas, they could find hope and purpose because of the risen Lord Jesus. Their purpose included living and communicating the good news that Jesus is alive. We, too, can be good news people known for our hope and our sense of purpose. It doesn't matter who or who is not in some political office. It doesn't even matter how strong the economy is. It doesn't matter what craziness other nations engage in. We cannot lose hope. A risen Lord means that the testimony of his life is true. We can trust that what Jesus says and what Jesus does. Amen. Yes. Now, the funny thing about preaching about the resurrection of Jesus is that it simply doesn't sound amazing to people anymore. I mean, the idea that someone who was dead has come back to life is really incredible. It doesn't happen every day, but I don't feel like we get amazed at this story anymore. In part, I blame, you know, the way have we have been entertained over the years. I don't, I don't really always blame TV and movies, but, you know, we have been confronted with vampires, werewolves, zombies. You grew up with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Twilight, True Blood, where dead people are more attractive than the people who are alive. It's, <laughs> <laughs> and somehow, and it's more recent franchises, I mean, enough fantasy, sci-fi, and horror, we could almost think that the resurrection of Jesus is just another story like all the other stories. But we ought to be amazed. <laughs> the resurrection of Jesus on the third day after he died was so amazing that it changed the lives of people who provoked a change in the course of history. 
The resurrection of Jesus ought to make a difference in your life. If you have encountered the living Jesus, then your life will change in some way. Your sadness, your fears, your doubts won't have to paralyze you. Hopelessness need not consume you. Dread won't overwhelm you. Insecurities won't consume you. The resurrection of Jesus means that God is real, that the enemy of our souls has been defeated, that we can have life, abundant, meaningful, eternal life. Right now, the resurrection of Jesus can mean healing and hope in a violent, competitive, ignorant, racist, misogynistic, polarized world because we believe in the one who was, who is, who is to come. Amen. My friends, Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Amen. Amen.